Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Love Talk Radio. Psalm 82. A Psalm of Asaph. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty... He judgeth among the gods. How long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. I have said, Ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But ye shall die like men, and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. Well, good morning to those that's on the West Coast and Central and Eastern Standard Time. Good afternoon. My name is Kennard Brown, your host for the Merciful Servants of God Biblical Instructional Program. Today is uh, February 20th, 2010. This program, we're going to focus on how to control anger and cease from anger. Anger, when it's expressed in the right way, is okay to exhibit and to have a sentiment of anger. When we emulate and copy God's anger, God's anger is righteous. We have to understand that until we become like him, a spirit being and so forth, he commands us not to execute vengeance the way he does it in the Bible. However, he does have certain laws set up to uh, do capital punishment. We have, uh, in this country, in the United States, if someone commits a a horrible murder, uh, they can be executed, and that's based on the laws of the Bible. But it's not for us to do it individually or on our own, unless, of course, it's a situation where it's self-defense, somebody's trying to kill you or something, and... You have no other choice but to do what you have to do to defend yourself, and in the process you end up killing that individual. That's something that is allowed also according to God's law, but you should never intentionally try to kill somebody uh, just because you're angry with them. That That's something that uh, is not for you. Uh, God states that vengeance is his, not ours. So I just wanted to, to point that out. And let's look at the... Um, First, we're going to look at the definary, uh, the I'm sorry, the uh, dictionary um, definition of anger. I'm looking in the Merriam-Webster dictionary. Anger is a strong feeling of displeasure, wrath, rage, fury, indignation, and that's exactly what the Hebraic meaning of it is as well. Uh, I looked it up 
So it's a pretty simple definition is when you're displeased, you don't like something, basically. You don't like what's going on. Now, the reason why anger exists um, is definitely because of sin. Sin causes displeasure. Sin causes things. It causes an environment of not liking things because uh, when you have an imperfect environment, then, of course, there are going to be things that you don't like. And we need to understand the anger of God and the anger of man. So I'm going to cover both in this Bible study. So let's first of all look at the anger of God and, and let's understand why he's angry. Because I, I don't think many people understand that when, when they look at the the Old Testament or the um, Tanakh and they look at that and they say, well, how come God is angry? How come he wiped out these people? How come he did this? How come he does that? Uh, in reference to his anger, and I'm hoping today to clarify that so you'll understand that it's right for God to get angry at us. It truly is. And we don't have a right to state that he shouldn't be angry when we disobey him. So anyway, let's go to Psalm chapter 7, verse 11 to begin this Bible study. I will, uh, in probably quite a few cases, uh, read out of the complete Jewish Bible version for clarity's sake to bring the Hebraic meaning out. But let's turn to Psalm 7, verse 11. Psalm 7, verse 11 states, God judges the righteous, and God is angry, and this phrase was added by the King James Version translators, with the wicked every day. Now, in the Jewish um, Bible, um, the Jewish version here, the Jewish Publication Society Bible, that's what I was trying to say here, it says, God is a righteous judge. Yes, a God has, a God that has indignation every day. So that's the reason why the King James Version translators add, added that, because it makes sense to add uh, when you understand. It says, God is a righteous judge, yea, or yes, a God that have indignation every day. So, of course, he's not going to have indignation toward the righteous, so he's having it toward the wicked. So the King James Version translators, they translated uh, it, God judges the righteous and God is angry with the wicked, obviously, every day. So, Let's focus on this verse, though. Let's read it in the complete Jewish Bible version. It says, God is a judge, righteous judge, a God whose anger is present every day. Now, it should be becoming clear now why God is angry every day. Because there's wickedness every day. The only reason why anger exists is because there's wickedness in the world. One day... Wickedness will not be in the world anymore. Let's turn to Revelation. Revelation. Chapter 21. I read this in the, in the King James Version. And this is the day that I'm looking, definitely looking forward to. And this is the day that each and every human being should look forward to because it will be happening soon on this earth well actually after a thousand years it will happen but uh before that of course we'll have peace executed by christ and the saints but after the thousand years this will happen and i'm looking forward to this revelation 21 verse 1 it says and i saw a new heaven and a new earth colon continue the thought for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea 
verse 2, and, and I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adored for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God, or the dwelling place of God, is with men. And he will dwell with them, and he, they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. Verse 4. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, which means there's no more sin, because sin causes death. Neither sorrow, no crying, neither shall there be any more pain. So people are thinking that people will snap, crackle, or pop in the hellfire. That's impossible, because God says that there, there shall... Uh, be no more pain, and of course, if you're suffering according to the theorists of uh, hell, um, then uh, God is lying here, but he's not, because he never lies, and he says, neither shall there be any more pain, so that means there will not be a lake of fire where people are, are in agony. It says, for the former things are passed away, which it means exactly what that means, meaning the lake of fire and death and everything else is passed away. So, that means that there will not be any more wickedness on the earth. Now, when he states this, he says, verse 5, And he that sat upon the throne says, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Right, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am the beginning and the end. The beginning, oh, okay, <laughs> Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give it to him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. So it shouldn't be any cost to get spiritual knowledge. Yes. I try. I try so hard to tell ministers that do that. But anyway, verse 7, He that overcometh shall inherit all things. That means the entire universe. And I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the fearful, and the unbelieving, and the abominable, and the murderers, and the whoremongers, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all lies shall have their part in the lake, which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Now, he's talking about, of course, prior to him coming and making this announcement and coming on the earth, all those who are sinful will be thrown in a lake of fire and they'll be destroyed. The lake of fire obviously doesn't exist anymore at this point because there's no more sea. And the lake is a part of the sea, right? So there's no more sea and there's no more pain. So obviously the lake of fire is, is not there. And then when you look at this phrase, the second death, let's understand what that means. Let's look at Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. And we need to understand what the uh, second death is. And verse 6 of Revelation 20 says, Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death has no power. Yeah, no power. Let's look up that word power. So that word power means force. And your spirit is a force. So the second death has no f power, no capacity, no substance, nothing. So that means that the second death is this, uh, death. I mean, you, you're totally destroyed. So I just thought I would explain that to you in, in, a, in a more concise fashion. Okay, so getting back to uh, Psalm 7. Verse 11, so God is angry with the wicked every day, or he has indignation every day for a reason, because there's great wickedness on the earth at this particular point in time in, in world history. And it always has been since the sin of Adam and Eve, and, and the world was populated at that time, and then God had to destroy that world, and then Noah started a new world through his sons and his daughters-in-law. And let's take a look here. Proverbs 8, verse 13. 
says the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogancy and the evil way and the forward mouth do I hate. And he hates that and is prevalent in the world every day. So that's the reason why he's angry at the wicked every day. Uh, in the complete Jewish Bible version, it says the fear of Adonai is hatred of evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil ways and, and wrong speech. Uh, in the New American Standard Bible Version, it says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance, and the evil way and the perverted mouth I hate. So he doesn't want us having perversion in our mouths and, and, and when we speak to people. Arrogancy, that, that means being proud, thinking you're, you're all this and all that. You know, not being humble. He hates that. He hates that. In Exodus chapter 22, Starting in verse, well, before I get, get into that, let's turn to Ezra 8, verse 22. Ezra 8, verse 22. Ezra was a Torah teacher, a scribe. Ezra 8, verse 2. Ezra states this. If I'm turning the right scripture here. Ezra 8, verse 22. I'm sorry. Ezra 8, verse 22. Ezra 8, verse 22 states in the King James Version, it says, For I was ashamed to require of the king a band of soldiers and horsemen to help us against the enemy in the way, because we have spoken unto the king, saying, The hand of our God is upon all them for good to seek him, but his power and his wrath is against all them that forsake him. So that's true, that his power and his wrath is against all them that forsake him. So we don't want to do that. And Exodus chapter 22, Exodus chapter 22, starting at verse 21. Says thou shalt not, thou shalt neither vex a stranger nor oppress him, for you are strangers in the land of Egypt. You shall not afflict any widow, widow rather, widow. <laughs> you shall not afflict any widow or fatherless child. If thou afflict them in any way or wise, and they cry out at all unto me, I will surely hear their cry. Verse twenty-four. And my wrath shall wax hot, and I will kill you with the sword, and your wives shall be widows and your children fatherless. So he's this is an example of him really getting angry. He doesn't like when you oppress the poor. And in this country, especially uh, with the IRS and, and so in the government, uh, it's a very oppressive system, and God doesn't like that. You know, he, he doesn't like that at all. And it's unfortunate that people can't get loans unless they have perfect credit. They have to show that they're impeccable or never made a mistake financially. And whether it was their fault or a fault of someone else, a lot of people can't show that, and it's unfortunate. I don't see anywhere in the Bible where God says that you have to be perfect to get along. But unfortunately, that's the way society is, and it's just a, an oppressive society. You know, people should be able to get along if they have a good reason to get it. You know, if they are making good uh, strides toward trying to to establish themselves and making strides toward 
uh, eliminating their debt and, and increasing their income by getting a good education or going to continue education programs, they should be allowed to get loans. But unfortunately, in this society, you, you have to be perfect or know somebody who's rich to get to get a loan. So anyway, Exodus chapter 22. Well, I mean perfect as far as making your payments on time and everything else. Exodus chapter 22, starting at verse 21 in the complete Jewish Bible version. It says, You must neither wrong nor oppress a foreigner living among you, for you yourselves were foreigners in the land of Egypt. You are not to abuse any widow or orphan. If you do abuse them in any way, and they cry to me, I will certainly heed their cry. My anger will burn, and I will kill you with the sword. Your own wives will be widows, and your own children fatherless. For those who are listening to me, if um, you're struggling right now, cry out to God, and he will hear your cry. You know, I, I've done that many times, and he has heard my cry. You know, I, I've gotten myself in a situation, uh, especially when I get myself in situations where I have no control. He definitely hears my cry, but he also heeded my cry when I have made foolish mistakes. And I was just talking about loan money, and I, I didn't realize that. In verse 25, it says, If you loan money to one of my people who is poor, you are not to deal with him as you would a creditor, and you are not to charge him interest. And that's what they do in this country, unfortunately. In many other countries, if you take your neighbor's coat as collateral, you are to restore to him by sundown, because it is his only garment. He needs it to wrap his body. What else does he have and wish to sleep? Moreover, if he cries out to me, I will listen, because I am compassionate. And see, that's the difference between God, even in the context of anger, and with anything. He's compassionate, and we have a tendency not to be compassionate, unfortunately. Uh, in First Corinthians chapter 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I always uh, read this because, uh, actually, no, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, I'm sorry. Because I know perhaps I may get some listeners to, to think, well, how come he's quoting out of the Old Testament all the time and so forth? And I have to probably repeat this every week for those who feel that it's wrong for me to quote out of the Old Testament. Uh, what I suggest you do is... Um, review my three-part Bible study on the law of Moses is not nailed to the cross. Uh, my, the first one is called, is the law of Moses is, is the law of Moses nailed to the cross? Second one is, what is sin? And the third one is um, one law for all of mankind. I implore you to listen to those Bible studies. I think they're approximately six hours, so when you combine all of them, I think every, every single one of them is at least two hours. And get your Bible out and write the scriptures down and, and study those scriptures. Anyway, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse 1, it states, Moreover, brethren, I would not that you be, should be ignorant. So God doesn't want us to be ignorant. He doesn't want us not to know something. How that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all immersed or baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that, that followed them and that rock was Christ or uh, Yeshua in his pre-existent spiritual form. Verse 5, But with many of them God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things, as they also lusted. Neither be ye idolaters, as were some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed and fell in one day to three and twenty thousand neither 
Let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted, and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye or complain, as some of them also murmured, and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things happen unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are to come. So we need to take the lessons of the Old Testament and take it to heart, and, and don't do what the, what the uh, nation of Israel did. That's what we need to do, and that's what that's telling us what we need to do. So let's go over what they did in detail here so that we can understand why God got angry at them and why God is, continues to get angry with wickedness today. Ezekiel, or Exodus rather, Exodus chapter 4. Exodus chapter 4. Exodus chapter 4. Starting in verse 10. It says, And Moses said unto the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore, nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech and of slow tongue. And the Lord said unto him, Who has made man's mouth? Or who maketh the dumb, or deaf, or the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Verse 12, Now therefore go, and I will be with thy mouth, and teach thee what you shall say. And he said, O my Lord, send I pray thee by the hand of him who thou wilt send. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. See, God doesn't like when you doubt him. He doesn't like when you, you act like he doesn't know what he's doing. He has a right to get angry about that. You know, that, that, it's, it's total disrespect. And, and, of course, he got angry at him. And I hope you understand why. It's justified for him to get angry. Uh, let's read this in the clear version here. Exodus chapter 4, starting in verse 10, it says, Moses said to Adonai, O Adonai, O Lord, I'm a terrible speaker. I always have been, and I'm no better now, even after you've spoken to your servant. My words come slowly, my tongue moves slowly. Uh, the Lord answered him, Who gives a, a person a mouth? Who makes a person dumb or deaf, keen-sighted or blind? Isn't it I? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth, and will teach you what to say. So here, God is commanding him to do something. He's telling him what to do, and Moses is rebelling and says, No, Lord, no. He said in verse 13, but he replied, Please, Lord, send someone else, anyone you want. Now notice. God commanded him and says, he told him this, Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth, and will teach you what to say. But Moses showed here a lack of faith. He didn't trust God. Verse 13, but he replied, Please, Lord, send someone else, anyone you want. And then verse 14, now God is really angry, and he should be. At this, Adonai's anger blazed up against Moshe, or Moses. He said, Don't you have a brother, Aaron the Levi? I know that he's a good speaker. In fact, he is now coming out to meet you, and he'll be happy to see you. You will speak to him and put your, the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and his, teaching you both what to do. So, you know, God, he was compassionate again, as he is, and, and he uh, assisted Moses, but still Moses uh, was assigned by God to fulfill a mission. So he couldn't get away with that. He couldn't run away from that like... like um, what was the prophet that, uh, I'm trying to remember his name here. Um, Jonah, yeah, Jonah. Jonah tried to run, he tried to run away from God. And then what did God do? Well, he <laughs> he created a fish to, to to gobble him up, and then eventually he repented, you know. Even though he had a bad attitude at the end, he was upset because God did not destroy the Ninevites. 
because they repented at that particular period of time. And the point of that book, of course, Jonah is, is, is hey, if anyone, anyone who obeys God is worthy of his protection and, and, and his mercy, not just the Jews. Ordination of Israel. Okay, so Deuteronomy chapter 3. Deuteronomy chapter 3. Starting at verse 21. It says, I commanded Joshua at that time, saying, Thine eyes have seen all that the Lord your God have done unto these two kings. So shall the Lord do unto all the kingdoms whether you pass. You shall not fear them, for the Lord your God, he shall fight for you. And I besought the Lord. He said, I besought the Lord. Where am I at? Saying, O Lord God, thou hast begun to show thy servant thy greatness and thy mighty hand, for what God is there in heaven or on earth that can do according to thy works and according to thy might. In verse 25 of Deuteronomy chapter 3, I pray thee, let me go over and see the good land that is beyond Jordan, that goodly mountain in Lebanon. But the Lord was angry with me for your sakes and would not hear me. And the Lord said unto me, Let it suffice thee, speak no more unto me of this matter. So, you know, he told Moses, Look, <laughs> you are not going to go over to see the promised land. Verse 20 says, Get thee up into the top of Pisgah and lift up thine eyes westward and northward and southward and eastward and behold it with thine eyes, for you shall not go over this Jordan. Okay, so he's, he he was commanded not to do it, and I'm sure Moses didn't bring it up again because he respected the anger of the Lord and respected God. Deuteronomy chapter 32, starting at verse 51. Let's understand why this happened. Why, how come he couldn't go? Let's understand what he did. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter um, 32 starting at verse 51. It says, Because you trespass against me among the children of Israel at the waters of Meribah Kadesh in the wilderness of Zen, because you sanctified me or you didn't set me apart in the midst of the children of Israel, yet thou shalt see the land before thee, but you shall not go thither into the land which I give the children of Israel. Okay, because he did something. He did not sanctify him. We're going to see exactly what he did here in a minute so that we understand why God got angry. Um, Numbers chapter 20. Numbers chapter 20. Numbers chapter 20, starting in verse 1. Then came the children of Israel, even the whole congregation, into the, into the desert of Zen in the first month. And the people abode in Kadesh, and Miriam died there and was buried. And there were no there was no water for the congregation, and they gathered themselves against to, together against Moses and against Aaron. And the people chode with Moses. Let me read this in the complete Jewish Bible version again. Uh, Numbers chapter twenty. All right. And the people quarreled with Moses in verse three and said, "We wish we had died." We wish we had died when our brothers died before the Lord. Why did you bring the Lord's community into this desert to die there, we and our livestock? Why did you make us leave Egypt to bring us to this terrible place without seed, figs, grapevines, 
pomegranates, or even water to drink. Moses and Aaron left the assembly, went to the entrance of the tent of the meeting, and fell on their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared unto them. And the Lord said to Moses, Take the staff, assemble the community, you and Aaron, your brother, and before their eyes, tell the rock to produce its water. You will bring them water out of the rock, and thus enable the community and their livestock to drink. Moses took the staff from the presence of Adonai, as he had ordered him. Now, notice this. In verse 8, God commanded Moses to just talk to the rock and to tell the rock to produce the water. Now, did Moses do exactly what God told him to do? You'll see that he didn't. In verse 9, Moses took the staff in the presence of Adonai as he had ordered him. Verse 10, but after Moses and Aaron had assembled the community in front of the rock, he said to them, listen here, you rebels. Are we supposed to bring you water from this rock? Then Moses raised his hand and hit the rock twice. Now, <laughs> right here, he disobeyed God. In verse 10, he said, Are we supposed to bring you water from this rock? And God told him to tell the rock to produce the water. Now, he didn't do that. In verse 11, uh, Moses raised his hand and hit the rock twice with his staff. So God did not tell him to hit the rock twice with his staff. He told him, in verse 8, says, Tell the rock to produce its water. You will bring them water out of the rock and, and thus enable the community and their livestock to drink. And Moses did not obey exactly what the Lord told him to do. And this is an example for anyone. If you have any boss, you should do exactly what your boss tells you to do. If you don't, you're going to get it, as Moses did. And boy, did he get it because he wanted to see that promised land bad. And God said, hey, sorry, but you didn't obey me, and you're not going to see the promised land. You're not going to be able to live in a, and go into the promised land. He allowed him to see it because of his mercy and compassion, but he didn't allow, allow him to dwell. And that's what Moses really wanted. He wanted to dwell in the promised land. He wanted to die in the promised land, and, and he couldn't because of his disobedience. That's why it's important to obey your, whoever's rule over you. This is a prime example. Numbers 20, verse 10, But after Moses and Aaron had assembled the community in front of the rock, he said to them, Listen, here, you rebels, are we supposed to bring you water from this rock? Verse 11, Then Moses raised his hand and hit the rock twice with his staff. Water flowed out in abundance, and the community and their livestock drank. But Adonai of the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not trust me. So, here we go. Did not trust in me. So as to cause me to be regarded as holy by the people of Israel. See, the, 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 Lord, the people would have, regard, would, would have considered and regarded God as holy or set apart, if Moses would have did what God told him to do. If he would have just told the rock to bring forth water. That would have glorified God. That would have set him apart as holy. But they didn't do that. In verse 12, because you did not trust in me, uh, Numbers 20, verse 12, because you did not trust in me so as to cause me to be regarded as holy by the people of Israel, you will not bring this community, the community is referring to the congregation of Israel, this community into the land I have given them. This is Mavra Spring, or Disputation Spring, where the people of Israel disputed with the Lord, and he was caused to be regarded as holy by them. Okay, so this is an example, of course, of the people uh, complaining, and in this sense, God did not get real angry and destroy them, but hey, here's some other examples here I'm about to go to. Numbers 21. Verse 4 to 9. Numbers chapter 21, verse 4 to 9. 
Then they traveled from Mount Hor on the road toward the Sea of Suf in order to go around the land of Edom, but the people's tempers grew short because of the detour. Verse 5, the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why did you bring us out, out of Egypt? Why did you bring us up out of Egypt? To die in the desert? There's no real food. There's no water. And we're sick of this miserable stuff we're eating. Now, that is a total, total disrespect to God. To say that the food that God has created is miserable. But they had that much stupidity to say that. There's no real food, there's no water, and we're sick of this miserable stuff we're eating. In verse 6 of Numbers chapter 21, in response, the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people. And God just, you know, you, I don't blame him, you know, to, to disrespect him like that. In response, Adonai sent poisonous snakes among the people. They bit the people, many of Israel's people died. Verse 7, the people came to Moses, saying, this is when they woke up. Unfortunately, this is the way most people woke up, wake up, rather. They have to have pain or have something bad happen to them to wake up. Uh, in verse 6, in response, the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people. They bit the people, and many of Israel's people died. Verse 7, the people came to Moses and said, we sin by speaking against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he rid us of these snakes. And Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord answered Moses and said, make a poisonous snake and put it on the pole. When anyone who has been bitten sees it, he will live. Verse 9, Moses made a bronze snake and put it on the pole, and if a snake had bitten someone, then when he looked toward the bronze snake, he stayed alive. And the people of Israel traveled on and camped at, at Ovid. All right, so that, that's another example of God's uh, anger, anger. He doesn't like when you complain about what he's done for you, and, 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 you, and you, you just lie and say it's not good enough. Whatever God gives us is good enough, ladies and gentlemen, because he knows what to give us, and, and it's perfect. And for us to, to, to react that way, that's not right. It's not right. Okay, uh, Numbers chapter 12. Look, look at some more examples. This is another example. Um Numbers chapter 12, I'm reading this complete Jewish Bible version for clarity's sake here. It says, Miriam and Aaron began criticizing Moses on account of the Ethiopian woman or black woman he had married, for he had in fact married a black woman. Verse 2, they said, Is it true that the Lord has spoken only with Moses? Hasn't he spoken with us too? So the Lord heard that. Verse 3, now this man Moses was very humble, more so than anyone on the earth. So he was the most humble man on the earth at that time. In verse 4, suddenly the Lord told Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, Come out, you three, to the tent of the meeting. The three of them went out, verse 5, And the Lord came down in a column of cloud and stood at the entrance to the tent. He summoned Aaron and Miriam, and they both went forward. He said, Listen to what I have to say. When there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make himself known, make myself known to him. I notice it didn't say a female, but male, him, in a vision. I speak with him in a dream, verse 7. But it isn't that way with my servant Moses. He is the only one who is faithful in my entire household. And that is really an outstanding statement there, an amazing thing. He was the only one who was faithful in all the entire household. Verse 8, with him I speak face to face and clearly, not in riddles. He sees the image of the Lord. So he's even seen the image of the Lord, and of course we should understand that the Lord at that time was 
uh, Yeshua Messiah in his uh, pre-existing form, spirit form. So why weren't you afraid to criticize my servant Moses? So this is a warning, ladies and gentlemen, to any servant of God, any Torah teacher. Um, you better be afraid to criticize them unless you have good reason to, unless they're doing something horrible. And, and of course, you have to even rebuke elders, but it, it has to be among witnesses. There's a certain procedure that you do. Anyway, we have to be very careful about criticizing those who you know God is using. Verse 8, Numbers 12, verse 8. With him I speak face to face and clearly not in riddles. He sees the image of God. So why weren't you afraid to criticize my servant Moses? In verse 9, then the anger of the Lord flared up against him and he left. So he was really extremely angry. Verse 10, but when the cloud was removed from above the tent, Miriam had uh, Zarah as white as snow. So she got leprosy. And Aaron looked at Miriam and she was white as snow. Verse 11, and Aaron said to Moses, Oh, my Lord, please don't punish us for this sin we committed so foolishly. Verse 12, please don't let her be like a stillborn baby with his body half eaten away when it comes out of his mother's womb. And that's where, that's where she looked. That's the way she looked. In Numbers 12, verse 13, Moses cried to the Lord, Oh, God, I beg you, please heal her. Verse 14, the Lord answered Moses, If her father had merely spit in her face, wouldn't she hide herself in shame for seven days so let her be shut out out of the camp for seven days after that she can be brought back in so that was the response that god gave her uh, in, in reference to this so you know All right, so in verse 15, Miriam was shut out of the camp seven days, and the people did not travel until she was brought back in. Afterwards, the people went on from Hazarot and camped in the Paran Desert. Okay, so that's something that uh, Aaron and, and Miriam both learned not to do that and, and not to accuse Moses of something that obviously God didn't feel was a problem for them to, to uh, marry a black woman. So... All right, so let's go to Numbers chapter 14 for more examples. So I'm just showing these scriptures so you can understand that God has a right to get angry at us, and I really think that people don't understand that, that uh, they think that it's cruel for God to get angry at us, and he has every right to get angry on us when we don't do what he wants us to do. It's common sense. Numbers chapter 14. At this, all the people of Israel cried out in dismay and wept all night long. Well, what did they weep all night long about? Let's look at the context here. Numbers chapter 13. All right, they were talking about how big the people, the Nephilim, the descendants of Anak, who was from the Nephilim, the ourselves, look, we look like grasshoppers by comparison and so forth. So they over-exaggerated what the uh, people at that time in Palestine looked like. And then Numbers 14, verse 1, at this, all the people of Israel cried out in dismay and wept all night long. They wept all night long because they were afraid of the people uh, in the promised land. And God, of course, told them not to be afraid because he would be with them and so forth. So they had a lack of faith or trust. In Numbers 14, verse 2, moreover, all the people of Israel began grumbling against Moses and Aaron. The whole community told them, we wish we had died in the land of Egypt. 
So they said, I think this is like the second or third time they stated this here and, and the number of other scriptures I quoted. We wish we had died in the land of Egypt or that we had died here in the desert. Verse 3, why is God bringing us to this land where we will die by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will be taken as booty. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? Verse 4, and they said to each other, let's appoint a leader and return to Egypt. And this is symbolic of Egypt, is symbolic of the world. And you have to look at this spiritually too. Many people... They don't want to suffer as we are commanded to. Uh, we, we have to take up our cross like Christ. And many people today, they, they spiritually reason around and say, you know, um, wouldn't it be better for us to return back to the world, do what we need to do, and, and do what the world wants us to do, and, and so forth, instead of obeying? And it's not. You know, it, we have to to struggle and overcome to make it in God's kingdom not going to be easy. Numbers 4, verse 4. And they said to each other, let's appoint a leader and return to Egypt. So right there, they're, they're totally disrespecting the fact that God set up Moses and Aaron to rule over them, and, and now they, they want to appoint a different leader because they're not uh, being ruled the way they want to be ruled, or things aren't going the way they want it to go. Anyway, Numbers 14, verse 5. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before the entire assembled community of the people of Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of, um, what is that, the son of, Caleb, the son of Jupana. Okay, where am I at here? Okay, from a detachment that had um, went over the land, tore their clothes, and said to the whole community of Israel, the land we passed through in order to spy it out, is an outstandingly good land. So here they are telling the truth. If the Lord is pleased with us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land flowing with milk and honey. Verse 9, just don't rebel against the Lord, and don't be afraid of the people living in the land. We'll eat them up. Their defense has been taken away from them, and the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. So that's the, that's the attitude that all the rest of the people should have displayed. But unfortunately, it was just two people at the time, which is uh, Joshua and Caleb that had the kind of faith and trust in God that God respected, and he rewarded them by allowing them to enter the, the promised land. Verse 10, but just as the whole community were saying they should be stoned to death, so here, here Joshua and Caleb was telling the truth, and I can relate to this, and here the people want to stone them and false accuse them. Verse 10, but just as the whole community were saying that they should be stoned to death, the glory of the Lord appeared and attended a meeting to all the people of Israel. In verse 11 of Numbers, and then the Lord said to Moses, How much longer is this people going to treat me with contempt? How much longer will they not trust me, especially considering all the signs I have performed among them? Verse 12, I am going to strike them with sickness, destroy them, and make from you a nation greater and stronger than they are. And I tell you, the people of Israel today and the Jews have Moses to think because God would have destroyed them. Verse 13, however, Moses replied to the Lord, when the Egyptians hear about this, and they will, because it was from among them that you, by your strength, brought this people up, verse 14 of Numbers 14, they will tell the people living in this land, they have heard that you, the Lord, are with this people, that you, the Lord, are, are seen face to face, that your cloud stands over them, that you go ahead of them in a column of cloud by day and a column of fire by night. Verse 15, if you kill off this people at a single stroke, then the nations that have heard of your reputation will say that the reason the Lord slaughtered this people in the desert is that he wasn't able to bring them into the land which he swore to, to give them. So now, please, let 
the Lord's power be as great as when you said, the Lord is slow to anger, rich in grace, forgiving offenses and crimes, yet not exonerating the guilty or letting the guilty go, but causing the negative effects of the parents' offenses to be experienced by their children and even by the third and fourth generation. Verse 19, please forgive the offense of this people according to the greatness of your grace, just as you have borne this people from Egypt until now. And then the Lord answered, I have forgiven as you have asked. But as surely as I live, and that the whole world is filled with the glory of Adonai. Verse 20, or the King James Version says, and, and the whole earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. And verse 22 of Numbers chapter 14, None of the people who saw my glory and the signs I did in Egypt and in the desert yet tested me these ten times. They tested him ten times and did not listen to my voice. Verse 22, Will see the land I swore to their ancestors. None of those who treated me with contempt will see it. So, you know, God does not like to be treated with contempt, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, that That's a total disrespect to him. And that word is uh, translated provoked, and it means not ought, in the King James Version, to translate provoked. It means to abhor, to blaspheme, to despise. So the people despise the Lord, and that's incredible, isn't it? But the people actually despise the Lord and treat it with him with contempt and hate. And you don't want to hate the Lord, because if you hate the Lord, he's going to hate you, and he's not going to have mercy on you. Numbers 14, verse 24, But my servant Caleb because he had a different spirit with him and has fully followed me, him will I bring into the land he entered and it will belong to his descendants. Now, since the, um, uh, the uh, Amalekite and Kenya are living in the valley, tomorrow turn around and get yourselves into the desert along the way to the Sea of Suf. So, let me read, let me go down here, read this in the King James. The Amalekites, right, okay. Getting back to verse 26 in the complete Jewish Bible version, it says, And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, How long am I to put up with this evil community who keep grumbling about me? I have heard the complaints of the people of Israel, which they continue to raise against me. You know, he, God does not like you complaining to him about things. He's tired of that. And that, that's translated murmur, uh, which means to constantly comp be obstinate, complain you know God, God doesn't like that he doesn't like that verse 28 tell them this as surely as I live Adonai swears as surely as you have spoken in my ears I will do this to you your carcasses will fall in the desert every single one of you who, who were included in the census over the age of 20 you who have complained against me will certainly not enter the land which I have raised my hand to swear that I would have you live in, except for Caleb and the son uh, Caleb and uh, Joshua, verse thirty-one of Numbers fourteen. But your little ones who said, but your little ones who you said would be taken as booty, them I will bring in. They will know the land you have rejected. But you, your bodies will fall in the desert, and your children will wander about in the desert for forty years, bearing the consequences of your prostitutions until the desert eats up your carcasses. It will be a year for every day you spent in the land that you will bear the consequences of your offenses, 40 days, 40 years. Then you will know what it means to oppose me. I, the Lord, have spoken. I will certainly do this to this whole evil community who have assembled together against me. They will be destroyed in this desert and die there. So, you know, 
I don't have to read the rest of this, but you get the, the, the drift, I hope anyway, that, uh, again, he was angry because of rebellion. The people rebelled against him, so he was angry. He had a right to be angry about that. Now, number 16, and another example. Numbers chapter 16. Now, this is the story of Kor and his rebellion. Now, Kor and all the rest of um, the people, well, let me, I can read this in the uh, King James Version here. It says, Now, Kor, the son of Izar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, and Dathan, and Abraham, the sons of Elab, and On, the son of Peleg, the son of Reuben, took men. Verse 2 of Numbers, chapter 16. And they rose up before Moses with certain of the children of Israel, 250 princes of the assembly, famous in the congregation, men of renown. Verse 3, and they gathered together against Moses and against Aaron and said unto them, You take too much upon you, seeing all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Whereof then lift up yourselves above the congregation of the Lord. So and they're false accusing them, saying that they were the ones that set themselves up to, to lead the congregation. It wasn't them, it was the Lord that did that. But of course they're lying, and when you lose your mind and want to sin, you're not, you're not thinking straight and you're not talking straight either. Uh, verse 4 of Numbers chapter 16, and when Moses heard it, he fell upon his face. In verse 5 of Numbers chapter 16, he spoke unto Kor and unto all his company, saying, Even tomorrow the Lord will show you who are his and who is holy, and will cause him to come near unto him, even him whom he has chosen, he will cause to come near unto him. Verse 6, This do, take your census, Kor, Take your census core and all his company, saying, Even tomorrow the Lord will show who are his and who is holy. Oh, wait a minute. I'm sorry. Number 6, verse 6. This do, take your census core and all his company, verse 7, put fire therein and put incense in them before the Lord tomorrow. And it shall be that the man whom the Lord has chosen, he shall be holy. Ye take too much upon you, you sons of Levi. And Moses said unto Kor, Here, I pray you, you sons of Levi, seems it but a small thing unto you that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself to do the service of the tabernacle of the Lord and to stand before the congregation ministering to them. And so he's saying, Hey, you know, God has already set you apart. Isn't that good enough for you? But obviously it wasn't. Number 16, verse 10. And he has brought thee near to him and, and all thy brethren, the sons of Levi, with thee, and seek ye the priesthood also. Verse 11, for which cause both thou and all thy company are gathered against, together against the Lord, and what is Aaron that you murmur against him? So they were talking against Aaron. Verse 12, and Moses sent to call Dathan and Abraham, the sons of Elab, and said, We will not come up. Verse 13, is it a small thing that thou hast brought us out of the land that flowed with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness? So they're false accusing Moses again. And except thou make thyself together a prince over this, which he didn't do. That's a false accusation. Verse 14, Moreover, thou hast not brought us into the land that floweth with milk and honey, or given us an inheritance of fields and vineyards, but thou put out the eyes of these men. Will we not come up? I mean, we will not come up. And, of course, Moses was angry. Verse 15, And Moses was very angry and said unto the Lord, Respect not their offering. I have not taken one ass from them, neither have I hurt one of them. Verse 16, And Moses said unto Kor, Be thou and all thy company before the Lord, Thou and they and Aaron tomorrow. Let me read that in the complete Jewish Bible version uh, when he was angry. Numbers 16, verse 15. It says, Moses was very angry and said to Adonai, Don't accept their grain offering. I haven't taken one donkey from them. I've done nothing wrong to any of them. 
and he had that kind of relationship with God where he can talk to him like that. Okay, and and Moses said to Korah, Be thou and all thy company before the Lord, thou and they and Aaron tomorrow. And verse 17 of number 16, And they, and take every man his censer, and put incense in him, and bring ye before the Lord, and every man his censer, two hundred and fifty censers, thou also Aaron, each of you his censer. And they took every man his censer, and put fire in them, and laid incense there, and stood in the door of the tabernacle of the congregation with Moses and Aaron. And Korah gathered all the congregation against him, and to the Lord of the tabernacle of the congregation, and the, and the glory of the Lord appeared unto all the congregation. And number 16, verse 20, and the Lord spoke unto Moses and to Aaron, saying, Separate yourselves from among this congregation, that I may consume them in a moment. Verse 22, And they fell upon their face and said, O God, the God of the spirits of all flesh. Remember, God is the God of the spirits of all flesh, which means we have a spirit in our flesh, ladies and gentlemen. And it says, The God of the spirits of all flesh shall one man sin, and will thou be angry with all the congregation? Verse 22, And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the congregation, saying, Get you up from about the tabernacle of Kor, Dathan, and Abraham. And verse 25, And Moses rose up and went unto Dathan and Abraham, and the elders of Israel followed him. And verse 26, And he spoke unto the congregation, saying, Depart, I pray you, from the tents of these wicked men, and touch nothing of theirs, that not you be consumed in all their sins. Verse 27, So they got up from the tabernacle of Kor, Dathan, and Abraham on every side. And Dathan and Abraham came out, Abraham, Abraham, this is Abraham, I think, and stood in the door of their tents and their wives and their sons and their little children. And Moses said, Hereby ye shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works, for I have not done them of mine own mind. Let me repeat that. Verse 28, And Moses said, Hereby ye shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works, for I have not done them of my own mind. And that's true because he tried to back out of his responsibility, as I read to you earlier. Number 16, verse 29. If these men die the common death of all men, or if they be visited after the visitation of all men, then the Lord has not sent me. Verse 30. But if the Lord make of a new thing, and the earth open her mouth and swallow them up of all that appertain unto them, and they go down quick into the pit, then you shall understand that these men have provoked the Lord. And it came to pass, as he had made an end of speaking all these words, that the, that the ground clave unsunder that was under them, and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up, and their houses, and all the men that uh, appertained to Kor, or went for Kor, or was for Kor, and all their goods. Verse 33 of number 16. They and all that appertained to them went down alive into the pit, and the earth closed upon them, and they perished from among the congregation. And verse 34 of number 16. And all Israel that were around about them fled at the cry of them, for they said, That not the earth swallowed us up too. <laughs> Verse 35, And there came out of fire from the Lord that consumed 250 men that offered incense. And verse 36, And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Speak unto Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, that he take up the censers out of the burning and scatter thou the fire yonder, for they are hollowed. The censers of these sinners against their own souls, that not, that, wait a minute, the censers of these sinners against their own souls, in verse 38, let them make them broad place for a covering of the altar, for they offered them before the Lord. Therefore they are hollowed, and they shall be assigned unto the children of Israel. And verse 39, And Eleazar the priest took the brazen censers, whereof they, whereof they that were burnt had offered, and they made broad place for a covering of the altar, to be a memorial unto the children of Israel, that no stranger, which is not of the seed of Aaron, come near to offer incense before the Lord, that it be not as Kor and as his company, as the Lord said to him by the hand of Moses. But on the morrow... 
verse 41 and number 16, but on the morrow all the congregation and the children of Israel murmured and complained again against Moses and Aaron, saying, You have killed the people of the Lord. Now this is ridiculous. That's the reason why I took the time to read this. They are false accusing Moses and Aaron and saying that, that Moses and Aaron killed the people. This is how sick these people were at the time, you know, the congregation of Israel. Verse 42, And it came to pass when the congregation was gathered against Moses and against Aaron that they looked toward the tabernacle of the congregation, and behold, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord appeared. And Moses and Aaron came before the tabernacle of the congregation. And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Verse 45 of number 16, Get you up from among this congregation, that I may consume them as in a moment. And they fell upon their faces. And, and verse 46, And Moses said unto Aaron, Take a censers and put fire therein from the altar, and put on incense, and go quickly into the congregation and make an atonement. And this is a good scripture to help us prove that Christ came to atone for our sins. But it says, Go quickly into the congregation and make an atonement for them. For there is wrath gone out from the Lord. The plague is begun. Verse 47, And Aaron took as Moses commanded and ran into the midst of the congregation. And behold, the plague was begun among the people, and he put on the incense and made an atonement for the people. And he stood between the dead and the living, and the plague was stayed. Now, they that died in the plague were 14,700, beside them that died about the matter of Korah. In verse 50 of number 16, And Aaron returned to Moses unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, and the plague stayed. So God had mercy, but he, you know, he, the plague was beginning, and Moses and Aaron had to atone by following the instructions that he gave him in verse 46. It says, Take a censer. Actually, uh, this is what Aaron did. He, said, he told Aaron to take a censer and put fire there and from the altar and put on the incense and go quickly into the congregation and make an atonement for them for there. For there is wrath gone forth from the Lord, and the plague has begun. So Aaron, through his actions, atoned for the people, which, you know, that that is definitely biblical as far as atonement and what it really means. So this is a pretty interesting passage of Scripture, ladies and gentlemen. Again, it shows you why God got angry. And you 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 have to, to learn how to do things God's way. You have to learn to respect his leaders. That all gets him angry, ladies and gentlemen. He does not like you doubting his intelligence toward anything, including uh, picking leaders to rule over you. He doesn't like that. So remember that. And Nehemiah chapter 9. Let's turn to that. Nehemiah chapter 9. Nehemiah chapter 9. I'll read this in the... Uh, James Version says, Now in the twenty the twenty fourth day of this month the children of Israel assembled with fasting and with sackcloth and, and earth upon them. So they were in a state of great humbleness here. And verse two, and the seed of Israel separated themselves from all the strangers and stood and confessed their sins and iniquities of their fathers. This is talking about them marrying uh women of a different type of human race, but that wasn't the issue. The issue is that they uh, continue to believe their false gods. They were not willing to commit to the God of Israel, so that's what made it wrong. So they had to separate from them. Verse 3 of Nehemiah, And they stood up in their place and read in the book of the law of the Lord their God one-fourth part of the day, so that's 25% of the day, and another 25% of the day they confessed and worshipped the Lord their God. Verse 4, Then they stood up upon the stairs, the Levites, Jeshua, and Bani, and Kadim, and Shemaniah, Muna, Shabiyah, Bani, Chani, Chanani, 
and cried with a loud voice unto the Lord their God. Then the Levites, Jeshua, Kadimi, Bani, Hashbariah, Shabriah, Hadiah, Sabaniah, Pathiah, Pathahiah, said, Stand up and bless the Lord your God forever and ever, and blessed be thy glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and, and praise. I'm reading this to you because I want you to, you know, God does a good job of summarizing through Nehemiah why he had to punish and why he gets angry. Verse 6, Thou, even thou art Lord alone, thou hast made heaven, the heavens of heavens with all their hosts, the earth and all things that are therein, the seas and all that is therein, and thou preservest them all, and the hosts of heaven worship thee. Thou art the Lord thy God who did choose Abraham or Abram and brought him forth out of Ur of the Chaldees and gave him the name of Abraham and found of his heart faithful before thee, and made us a covenant with him to give the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, and the Perizzites, and the Jebusites, and the Gergesites, to give it, I say, to his seed, and has performed thy words, for thou art righteous. Verse 9, And thou, and, and you did see the affliction of our fathers in Egypt, and heard their cry by the Red Sea, and showed signs and wonders upon Pharaoh, and all, all their servants, and all, all the people of the land, for you knew that they dealt proudly against them, so didst thou get thee a name as is this day. And thou didst divide the sea before, before them, so that they went through the midst of the sea on the dry land, and their persecutors you threw into the depths as a stone into the mighty waters. Moreover, thou led them in the day by a cloudy pillar, and in the night by a pillar of fire, to give them light in the way wherein they should go. I'm going to read the rest of this in the basic Bible version here. Okay. Numbers 9, starting in verse 10. And you did signs and wonders on Pharaoh and all his servants to all the people of his land, for you saw how cruel they were to them, so you got yourself a name as it is today. Verse 11. By you the sea was parted before them, so that they went through the sea on dry land, and those who went after them went down into the deep, like a stone into great waters. In verse 12 of Nehemiah. And you went before them by day in a pillar of cloud and in a pillar of fire by night to give them light on the way they were to go. And you came down on Mount Sinai, and your voice came to them from heaven, giving them right decisions and true laws, good rules and orders. And you gave them word of your holy Sabbath, and gave them orders and rules and the law by the hand of Moses your servant. And you gave them bread from heaven when they were in need, and made water come out of the rock for their drink, and gave them orders to go in and take for their heritage the land which your hand had been lifted up to them. And here we go, verse 16. But they and our fathers in their pride made their necks stiff, or they were stubborn, and gave no attention to your orders. Verse 17. And would not do them, and gave no thought to the wonders you had done among them, but made their necks stiff, or in other words, they were stubborn, and turning away from you, made a captain over themselves to take them back to the prison in Egypt. Made a captain over themselves to take them back to the prison in Egypt. And they wanted to go back to Egypt and be in prison. That's what Egypt was. It was prison, and it was an oppression. But you are a God of forgiveness, full of grace and pity, slow to wrath, and great in mercy, and you did not give them up. Now notice, he's slow to wrath, but it doesn't mean that he doesn't get wrathful. People interpret that and say, well, you know, God doesn't get angry. No, he gets angry, but he's slow to it, and he's patient. Verse 18, even when they had made for themselves an ox of metal and said, this is your God who took you up out of Egypt and had done so much to make you angry, Verse 19, even then in your great mercy, now, they did so much to make him angry. I want you to understand that. In Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 18, it says they had done so much to make him angry. And, and verse 19, even then in your great mercy, you did not give them up in the wasteland. 
The pillar of cloud still went before them by day, guiding them on their way, and the pillar of fire by night to give them light and make clear the way they were to go. Verse 20, And you gave your good spirit to be their teacher and did not keep your manna from their mouths and gave them water when they had need of it. Verse 21, Truly, for 40 years you were their support in the wasteland, and they were in need of nothing. Their clothing did not get old or their feet become tired. Verse 22, And you gave them kingdoms and peoples, making distribution to them in every part of the land. So they took for their heritage the land of Sion, and even the land of king of Hishbon, and the land of Og, king of Bashan. Verse 23, And you made their children as great in number as the stars of heaven, and took them into the land of which you had said to their fathers that they were to go in and take for themselves. Verse 24, So the children went in and took the land, and you overcame before them the people of the land, the Canaanites, and gave them up into their hands with their kings and the people of the land so that they might do with them whatever it was their pleasure to do. And they took walled towns and a fat land and became the owners of houses full of all good things, water, holes cut in the rock, vine gardens and olive gardens and a wealth of fruit trees. So they had food enough and became fat and had joy in the good you gave them. Verse 26, here we go. But they were hard-hearted and went against your authority, turning their backs on your law and putting to death your prophets, who gave witness against them with the purpose of turning them back again to you, and they did much to make you angry. Again, they did much to make um, him angry. God. Verse 27, And so you gave them up into the hands of their haters who were cruel to them, and in the time of their trouble, when they made their prayer to you, you gave ear to them from heaven, and in your great mercy gave them saviors, who made them free from the hands of their haters. But here we go again, the rebellion. Verse 28, But when they had rest, they did evil again before you. So you gave them into the hands of their haters, who had rule over them. But when they came back and made their prayer to you, you gave ear to them from heaven again and again, and your mercy you gave them salvation. Verse 29, And gave witness against them, so that you might make them come back again to your law. But their hearts were lifted up, and they gave no attention to your orders, and went against your decisions, which if a man keeps... They will be like to him, and turning their backs on you, made their necks stiff and did not give ear. Verse 30, year after year you put up with them. You gave witness against them by your spirit through your prophets. Still they did not give ear, and so you gave them up into the hands of the peoples of the land. Verse 31, even then in your great mercy you did not put an end to them completely or give them up, for you are a God of grace and mercy. And now, our God, the great, the strong, the God who is to be feared, who keeps faith and mercy, let not all this trouble seem small to you, which has come on us and on our kings and our rulers and our priests and our prophets and our fathers and all your people from the time of the kings of Isaiah till this day. And this is a prophecy because it's still going on today. Verse 33, But still you have been in the right in everything which has come on us. So Nehemiah understood that God was right to punish. God was right to get angry. And he still is today. You have been true to us, but we have done evil. Verse 34, and our kings, our rulers, our priests, and our fathers have not kept your law, and he's talking about most of them, of course, or given attention to your orders and your witness with which you gave witness against them. Verse 35, for they have not been your servants in their kingdom. And in all the good things you gave them, and in the great and fat land you gave them, and they have not been turned away from their evil doing. Verse 36, now today we are servants, and as for the land which you gave to our fathers, so that the produce of it and the good might be theirs. See, we are service in it, and it gives much increase to the kings whom you have put over us because of our sins, 
and they have power over our bodies and over our cattle at their pleasure, and we are in great trouble. And because of all this, we are making an agreement in good faith and putting it in writing, and our rulers, our Levites, and our priests are putting their names to it. So anyway, I just wanted to read that thing to get you to understand, to hopefully motivate you to understand that God's anger toward his people, the nation of Israel, and toward anybody is justified when you disobey him. But, you know, in that, he's merciful. He does not punish you what you deserve, but eventually he's going to punish you, and eventually if you continue to sin, you won't be alive eventually, as I'm going to show you. So we need to take this serious, ladies and gentlemen, and understand that God does get angry, and you can't use scriptures as the way he's slow to anger and all that. Now, yeah, sure, he's slow to anger, but if you don't repent, that anger will come upon you quicker than you think. Uh, John chapter 3, verse 36. John chapter 3, verse 36. States, John 3, verse 36. It says, He that believes on the Son of Son has everlasting life. And he that believes not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God will abide on him. So that's that's a very strong statement, ladies and gentlemen. We all must eventually believe that Jesus Christ, Yeshua Messiah, is Lord and Savior. And if we don't, the wrath of God will be upon us. And I'm sure that most people don't want the wrath of God to be on them. Uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 18. Romans 1, verse 18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. These are people who know the truth and yet deny it. And, and God is saying that his wrath will be revealed from heaven against that, against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. And in verse 19, of course, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it to them. And verse 20, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So it's saying that when you see the creation, when you can see the creation and the universe and everything, that's proof enough that there's a God. That's what that's saying there. Ephesians 5, verses 1 to 6. Ephesians 5, verses 1 to 6. And this chapter states, uh, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. So we, we need to imitate God, and, and we need to do what he did, and continue to do what he does. Verse 2. So I'm going to explain to you today how to have the right type of anger and how not to have uh, anger. But anyway, Ephesians 5, verse 1. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and has given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. For a sweet-smelling savor. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as become of saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. 
Verse 5, For this you know that no whoremonger nor unclean person nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Verse 6, Let no man deceive you with vain words. For because of these things come the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. So again, we don't want to have the wrath of God to come upon us. Colossians 3. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 5 to 6. It says, Mortify therefore upon your members which are upon the earth fornication and cleanness and ordinate affection. Let me read this in a different version here. Colossians 3. Starting in verse 5. It says, Mortify therefore... Oh, let me... Colossians 3, therefore put to death, in verse Colossians 3, verse 5, therefore put to death the earthly parts of your nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is a form of idolatry. For it is because of these things that God's anger is coming on those who disobey him. So that's a good definition of why God is angry. It's because of disobedience. So let's understand that. Uh, Psalm 79, verse 6. Psalm 79, verse 6. It says, Pour out thy wrath upon the heathen that have not known thee, and upon the kingdoms that have not called upon thy name. So this is a prophecy of the future, of course, and the present. Uh, for the nations that don't obey him, his wrath is upon them even now. But um, that's Psalm 79, verse 6, and this is an allusion to Revelation chapter 14. Revelation chapter 14. Revelation chapter 14, starting in uh, verse 10. It says, The same shall drink of the wrath of the wine of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of, it, of his indignation, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lord, of the Lamb. So that, that's going to happen to people who don't want to obey God. They're going to be tormented. They're going to go through some pain uh, and, and some agony before they're totally terminated or destroyed. That's what that's referring to in Revelation chapter 16, verse 1. And I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, Go your ways and pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. So, and then in Revelation chapter 16, to tell you all the, the horrible things that's going to happen. And uh, for you, if you're still alive at this point, and if you are disobedient to God, you will receive the wrath of God. And if you just read this chapter, I hope you think twice. <laughs> if you're still alive, I hope you think twice and, and, and think very clearly and say, hey, I better obey God or else Revelation chapter 16 is going to happen to me. All right, so... <laughs> Just read it, because uh, I'm sure that most people don't want to go through all the things that's described here. Uh, I'll just read you one in verse 10, uh, the, the fifth vial. It says, And the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seat of the beast, and his kingdom was full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues for pain, and blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and repented not of their deeds. Okay, so that's um, one of the many plagues that's going to come, uh, having pains and being gnawing at it and so forth, and and it's being in great pain. I'm sure that most people don't want to go through that kind of pain. 
Anyway, Psalm 30, verse 5. Psalm 30, verse 5. It says, uh, For his anger endureth but a moment, and his favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. So, yes, his anger only endures for a moment. However, he still has anger. You can't use that to say, well, you know, God is, you know, he is slow to anger. Yeah, he's slow to anger, but uh, for him to not be angry at all, you need to stop sinning. We need to stop sinning. Psalm 78. Psalm 78, verse 38. But he, being full of compassion, forgave their iniquity and destroyed them not. Yes, many a time turned he his anger away and did not, and did not stir up all his wrath. Verse 39. For he remembered that they were but flesh and when that passeth away and cometh not again. How often did they provoke him in the wilderness and grieve him in the desert? So, you know, again, just summarizing what I read to you earlier about how wicked the majority of people in the wilderness, the congregation of Israel, was. And unfortunately, we, we, we still are today. The modern descendants of the tribes of Israel, as I explained to you before, consists of uh, many people that live in the United States, the British, British Commonwealth of Nations, uh, Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, all the countries in northwestern Europe. So that 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 consists of Israel today geographically. Of course, people who accept Yeshua Messiah, wherever they're at, they are also a part of Israel. And that's the truth. And of course, the Jews are among the nation of Israel. They're just one tribe, though, or two tribes out of them, because Levi is associated with Judah. And for more information on this, please go to Britam, B-R-I-T-A-M dot org, B-R-I-T-A-M dot org, and look at your Davidi's uh, materials on that. Okay, so Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 24. Jeremiah 10, verse 24. states this. It says, O Lord, correct me, but with judgment, not in thine anger, that not thou bring me to nothing. So, in verse 25, it says, Pour out thy fury among the heathen that know thee not, and upon the families that call not on thy name, for they have eaten up Jacob, and devoured him, and consumed him, and have made his habitation desolate. And that's going to happen in the future to Jacob. And Jacob is the, uh, the lost ten tribes, which are the, riches, are the richer nations of the world. Uh, that are in those areas I just mentioned to you, uh, United States, Britain, uh, Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, and the countries in northwestern Europe. Uh, Jacob will be eaten up soon and devoured. He's being already devoured financially. Eventually, uh, it's going to get to the point where he's going to be consumed because of wickedness, because they don't want to obey. So, Jeremiah, we as a whole don't want to obey. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Actually, in this context, it's talking about all the tribes of Israel, Jacob, Israel, including the Jews. So, they're along with that. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9. How much time I have left here? Okay, 41 minutes, plenty of time here. Second Peter chapter 2, Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9. 
says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So he would like to have every human being on earth be saved. That's the reason why he hasn't destroyed the earth right now. He wants every human being to be given an opportunity to repent. That is his desire. Ephesians 4, verse 26. Okay, so let's let's get to the anger of man. I went over the anger of God. We understand why God gets angry. He gets angry because we doubt him, that we complain and murmur, and we say false things about him and his leaders. Uh, and, of course, ultimately we just don't want to obey him. That's the reason why he gets angry. That's the reason why there is an angry emotion in a righteous sense. Now, we're going to look at how it is in an unrighteous. God is not unrighteous, so... I have to look at the anger of man because and the, the anger of man can consist of righteous anger and unrighteous anger because we're not perfect. Ephesians 4, verse 26 says, Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. And verse 29, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. So whatever communication comes out of our mouth, it should be of benefit to the people receiving it. Verse 30, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. When you have corrupt communication, you're cursing and calling people names and so forth. That's not true. And the, and, and when you call people names, it's not benefiting them. There is a difference between calling people names to help them and calling them names not to help them. I'm going to get into that here in, in, hopefully in a minute. Uh, verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And verse 32, And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Okay. And then Psalm 37, verse 8. Psalm 37, verse 8. states, Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. So we should do to the best of our ability, not to let anger linger. You know, sure, you, you'll get angry sometime at people. People do kind of act crazy enough to get you angry. And, of course, you're going to be angry. You should hate, because I did quote to you that we should imitate God. And if God hates evil, we should hate evil. And if God is angry every day with the wicked, so should we. But it should be in control. It should be not to a point where you're going to take it upon yourself and execute vengeance, because vengeance is God's. It's not ours. It's not ours. It's not ours. All right, so let's turn to Psalm 37, verse 8. Where are we? Yeah. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. Okay. Now let's turn to Romans 12, verse 19 to 21. Let's understand how to control this anger that we all have because of wickedness. Because we don't like to see wickedness. Romans 12. Let's learn how to control it. Romans 12, verse 19 and 21. It says, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So it's not for us to, if somebody calls, you know, your mother or, you know, says bad things about you or your mother or father, it's not for you to take a baseball bat and knock someone in the head because of it. That's 
That's what it's saying there. Verse 20, therefore, if thy enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirsts, give him drink. And this is talking about your enemies. For in so doing, you shall heap coals of fire on his head. And verse 21 is a, definitely a scripture of wisdom here. Be not overcome of evil. So don't let evil overcome you. You have to overcome evil with good. And that's something that we all need to meditate on and all work on because we all have a problem with that. But we need to overcome evil with good, not overcome evil with evil. So that's very, very good advice from God to Paul to us. Matthew 5, verse 44. Matthew 5, verse 44. States, but I say unto you, love your enemies, and bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you. So God is telling you to love your enemies and to bless them that curse you. So these are people that may call you names like, you know, nigger and honky and all that. It doesn't make a difference, but uh, people that call you names like that, don't, don't let that rouse you to anger to, to get you to want to hit them in the head or do something violent. You have to control yourself. What, what the Bible is telling you is that Matthew 5, verse 44, But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. And why? Verse 45, that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. So if you do those things, if you take that suffering like that, you are a child of God. For he makes his son to rise on the evil and the good, so God provides provisions for the good and the evil. And sends rain on the just and the unjust. Verse 46, for if you love them which love you, what reward have you? And not, do not even the, the publicans or the tax collectors the same? Verse 47, and if you salute your brethren only, what do you more than others? Do not even the, the tax collectors? But verse 48, be ye therefore complete or perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is complete. So that, that's some words of wisdom there. And Psalm 97, verse 10. Psalm 97, verse 10, states, Ye that love the Lord hate evil. So if we love God, then we must hate evil. And it's in Psalm 97, Psalm 97, verse 10. If we claim that we love God, and loving God is keeping his commandments, okay, then we must hate evil. He preserved the souls of his saints. He delivered them out of the hand of the wicked. And that's Psalm 97, verse 10. James chapter 1, verse 19 to 20. James chapter 1, 19 to 20. It says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, Slow to speak, slow to wrath. Verse 20. For the wrath of man works not the righteousness of God. So we need to put away the wrath. The wrath of man does not work the righteousness of God. We need to have the wrath of God without vengeance. Because vengeance is God. But it's okay to have his wrath. It's okay to be angry like he is because he's slow to anger. And we have to copy the way he's angry. Okay, so let's get let's get some examples. Let's 
present some examples, or let me present some examples of some righteous men that were angry and and exhibited anger in the right way. Let's start with um, well, let's start with Jesus, then I'll start with Stephen, since Jesus is the perfect role model. Uh, John chapter two. John chapter two. Got thirty-two minutes left here. John chapter two, starting at verse thirteen. John two verse thirteen. And the Jews' Passover was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem and found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and the changers of money sitting there exchanging money, selling stuff in the temple. And verse fifteen. And when he had made a scourge of small cords. He drove them out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overthrew the tables. And he said unto them that sold doves, Take these things hence. Make not my father's house a house of merchandise. And this is somewhat of a prophecy because today, unfortunately, many churches today make the father's house, his temple, which can be his people too, a house of merchandise. And they charge for literature and and they influence the people to give them money that they just don't have, the money that they can pay for the rent or take care of their children or help them to get out of debt. And they, and they give this kind of money to them. And it's just really cruel that many ministers of today oppress the people. And they try to justify it and say, well, yeah, you must support. Yeah, you should support the ministry, but not that way, not to the point of causing and, 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 and not helping the people get out of debt and, and causing them to get into more debt by giving to you. Uh, I don't see anywhere in the Bible where one of the criteria of a great servant of God is to be rich. So anyway, I can go on and on with that, but I'm not. Revelation chapter 6, verse 16. Revelation 6, verse 16. And said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. So I'm just quoting the scripture to show you that uh, Jesus is very angry also because he has his father's character. He's angry right now as I'm speaking with the wicked. Psalm chapter 2. Psalm chapter 2. He has every right to be angry. Remember, anger means that you don't like what someone is doing. Okay? And it's righteous anger when you don't like when someone is disobeying God. But it's unrighteous anger when someone is doing right and you don't like it. And that's the, that was the anger that Cain displayed, and hopefully I'll have time to go over that. But anyway, uh, that's the kind of anger that we shouldn't have. That's the devil's anger. Anyway, Psalm chapter 2, starting at verse 10. Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Why? Verse 11. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, that's talking about Yeshua, that not he be angry and you perish from the way. When his wrath is kindled just a little, and this is what he's talking about when he comes back, Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. So we got to be very careful not to get Yeshua angry. You shouldn't be getting them angry now. All right, here's a, here's a, let's go to Matthew chapter 23. I'm going to read this in the complete, the basic Bible version here. How many minutes? Uh, 29 minutes, okay. Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23 I'm going to read this in the basic uh, the Bible in basic English. 
Okay. Matthew 22, verse 1. Jesus said to the people and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees had the authority of Moses, all things then which they give you orders to do, these do and keep. But do not take their works as your example, for they say and do not. In other words, as long as they preach or teach like Moses, then you should obey them. But if they don't, you shouldn't. Verse 4. They make hard laws and put great weights on men's backs, but they themselves will not put a finger to them. But all their works they do so as to be seen by men, for they make wide their phylacteries and the edges of their robes. And the things desired by them are the, the first places at feasts and the chief seats at the synagogues or congregations. Verse 7, and words of respect in the marketplace and to be named by men teacher. Verse 8, but you may not be named teacher and it's capitalized. In other words, there's not one main teacher other than God himself. For one is your teacher, and you are all brothers. Verse 9. And give no man the name of father on earth like people do with the Pope today. That's a prophecy. God knew that would happen. That's why he said it. And give no man the name of father on earth because one is your father who is in heaven. And today people call the Pope and other priests in the Catholic Church father. And he says for people not to do that. And we should not be calling Jewish rabbis rabbis in the sense of them being so, oh, you know. But, you know, of course, your teacher in school, that's your teacher. But he's talking about here in a religious sense to the point of where you, you, you are so in awe with this person. That's what he's against. And, of course, you should never call somebody father in a religious sense. Anyway, verse 10 of Matthew chapter 23. And you may not be named guys because one is your guide, even Christ. Verse 11. But the greatest among you be your servant. And whoever makes himself high will be made low. And whoever makes himself low will be made high. Verse 13, but a curse is on you, scribes and Pharisees, false ones, because you are shutting the kingdom of heaven against men, for you do not go in yourselves, and those who are going in you keep back. A curse is on you, scribes and Pharisees, false ones, for you go about the land and sea to get one disciple, and having him, you make him twice as much a son of hell. Okay, that wasn't nice, was it? But he called them a son of hell as yourselves, so he's calling them names, but in a righteous sense. Verse 16, a curse is on you, blind guys, who say, whoever takes an oath by the temple, it is nothing. But whoever takes an oath by to go to the temple, he is responsible. You foolish ones and blind, so he's calling them foolish. And he's calling them blind. Those are not really pleasant words, but it's righteous in this context. Which is greater, the gold or the temple which makes the gold holy. And whosoever takes an oath by the altar, is it nothing? But whoever takes an oath by the offering which is on it, he is responsible. You blind ones, again, he's calling them blind. Which is greater, the offering or the altar which makes the offering holy? He then who takes an oath by the altar takes it by the altar. So let me go down and see where else he... Yeah, in verse 23, a curse is on you, scribes and Pharisees, false ones. He's calling them false ones. Um, verse 24, you blind guides. And then verse 25, a curse is on you, scribes and Pharisees, false ones. Verse 26, you blind, call them a blind again. You blind Pharisee, first make clean the inside of the cup and the plate so that the outside may become equally clean. Verse 27, a curse is on you, scribes and Pharisees, false ones. For you are like the resting places of the dead, which are made white and seem beautiful on the outside, but instead you are full of dead men's bones and all the unclean things. That's not pleasant, is it? He calls them, He says in verse 28, you're all false, full of wrongdoing. And then verse 23, and this is what John the Baptist called them too, you snakes, and he called, he called them vipers, matter of fact. John the Baptist, he called uh, the evil folks at that time vipers. And verse 23, Christ is calling them snakes here. You snakes, offspring of snakes, is that pleasant? No, but it's righteous because that's what they are. How will you be kept from the punishment of hell? So, 
And that's an example of how Christ was using words to motivate them to repent. He wasn't using words that have no benefit. He was using words to, 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 to describe what, how they act at that particular period of time. All right, Luke chapter 13. So when you call somebody a name, it's not necessarily a sin all the time. That's what I'm trying to show you. Luke chapter 13, it depends on what you're calling, and it depends on what the intent is. Is, is, is the intent to make fun of them, to hurt them, is, is the intent to cause them to think and cause them to change and repent and stop acting wicked. Luke chapter 13, starting in verse 31. The same day there came certain of the Pharisees, saying unto them, Get thee out and depart hence, for a herald will kill thee. And then in verse 32, Christ says this. He says to them, Go ye and tell that fox. <laughs> so he called Herod a fox because that's what he was, a fox. He acted like a fox, you know, and he called him a fox. Was that a sin? No, because he called him exactly what he was. All right, in Galatians chapter 2. Well, let's go over something else here that's a very significant scripture. Um, Mark 3, verse 5. Let's turn to Mark 3, verse 5. Mark 3, verse 5. And when he had looked around about on them with, an ang with, with anger. Okay, so in Mark 3, verse 5, and this is talking about Yeshua. And when he had looked around about on them with anger. And why was he angry? Because he was grieved for the hardness of their hearts. He said unto them, Stretch forth thy hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored as a whole. Now let's look at the context here. Uh, see why, why he was angry. Mark 3, verse 1. And he entered again into the synagogue, and there was a man there which had a withered hand. And they watched him whether he would heal him on the Sabbath day that they might accuse him. And he said unto the man which had a withered hand, Stand forth. Verse 4. And he said unto them, Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath days or to do evil? To save life or to kill? But they held their peace. So he was angry. Yeshua, or Jesus, was angry because they didn't know the answer to this. They didn't know the answer to this. So he, he was angry because they didn't want to respond. Verse 5, when he had looked round about on them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts or the stubbornness of their hearts, he said unto them, Stretch forth thy hand, and he stretched it out, and his hand was restored whole as the other. So I just want you to, to realize that he was very extremely angry at these people because they just, just did not want to acknowledge that it is right to do good on the Sabbath and to and to heal on the Sabbath. And in Mark three verse five, and looking around, and this is in the complete Jewish Bible, and looking around on them, he was angry, being sad because of their hard hearts, stubborn hearts. And he said to the man, "Put out your hand." And he put it out, and his hand was made well. So it is righteous for a man or a woman to be angry at someone that is being stubborn and doesn't doesn't want to obey. And does not want to acknowledge when something is right. It's righteous to be that way. It's righteous to be angry at that. That's evil. And you should be angry at that. Okay. Uh, let's Some examples with Paul being angry. We have some examples of Paul being angry in the Bible that I want to go over here. Uh, Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2, verse 1. I'm reading this in the basic... Uh, in the Bible in basic English. Galatians 2, verse 1. Then after the space of 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus with me. And I went up by revelation, and I put before them the good news which I was preaching among the Gentiles, but privately before those who were of good men, of a good name. 
so that the work which I was or had been doing might not be without effect. But not even Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was made to undergo circumcision. And that because of the false brothers let in secretly who came searching out for our free condition which we have in Christ Jesus so that they might make service of us. So, let me read here when he got angry here. Verse 7. But quite the opposite, when they saw that I had been made responsible for preaching the good news to those of our circumcision, even as Peter had been for those of the circumcision. What that means is those without the circumcision, those are, those are people that aren't Jews, and those that are for the circumcision were Jews. Verse 8. Because he who was working for Peter as the apostle of the circumcision was working no less than me among the Gentiles. When they saw the grace which was given to me, James and Cephas, or Peter and John, who had the name of being pillars, or the main leaders of the church, gained, gave to me and Barnabas their right hands as friends that so they might go to the Gentiles and, the, and they to the circumcision. Let me get to the part where he got angry. Verse 11. But when Peter Cephas came to Antioch, I made a protest against him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. For before certain men came from James, he did take food with the Gentiles, but when they came, he went back and made himself separate, fearing those were of the circumcision. Okay, so that that wasn't right. And the rest of the Jews went after him so that even Barnabas was overcome by their false ways. But when I saw that they were not living uprightly in agreement with the true words of the good news, I said to Cephas or Peter before them all, if you being a Jew are living like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how will you make the Gentiles do the same as the Jews? Okay, so he says, if you being a Jew are living like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how will you make the Gentiles do the same as the Jews? And that that's not talking about obeying a law, but to do the, the certain parts of the oral law that really was optional to do, which had nothing to do with the written law of God. So that's what, what uh, Paul was stating there, and uh, that was wrong for Peter to be ashamed not to eat with the Gentiles because people that knew him came. That He was angry about that. So that's an example of the anger of Paul there. And then uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and see, notice he busted him out in front of everybody, so it is appropriate sometimes to, to let people know of great wickedness, and that was definitely great wickedness. That's partiality, and God is totally against that. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 36, he says, Thou fool, now this is... <laughs> Paul calling somebody a fool here. It says, Thou fool, thou that which thou sowest is not quick and accepted, die. So and that that's an example of Paul, and this is he was under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Uh he called he's calling anyone a fool that doesn't understand how the dead are raised up. Because it is revealed in the Bible. And I'm gonna look this word up in the original uh, Greek here. Says yeah, um, says stupid. That means stupid, ignorant, being ignorant. So in certain contexts, it's, it's okay to tell people that they're not thinking straight. Okay, it's, in certain contexts, it's, it's, it's not anything wrong with telling people that they're not thinking straight. First uh, Timothy, chapter four, verse two, and. Right here, he states um, some people were speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience here with a hot iron. That's not very pleasant, but that's in there. So again, I'm just showing you that it's not always bad to talk 
emphatically about someone. First uh, Timothy 5, verse 13. And with all, they learn to be idle, wandering from house to house, and not only idle, but tattlers also and busybodies. So he's, he's calling people names here, tattlers and busybodies, speaking things which they ought not, but that's what they were doing. So he did not sin, and that served a purpose to get them to repent. It served a purpose to get them to repent. And then Acts 7, verse 51 of, uh, to 50, Acts 7, verse 51 to 54, rather. It says, You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in hearts and ears, you always do resist the Holy Spirit, as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which showed before the coming of the just one, of whom you have been now the betrayers and murderers. So he's calling them stiff-necked and uncircumcised, and also betrayers and murderers. And God uh, allowed Stephen to see him before he died. And, and, of course, when he died, he said, Lord, receive my spirit. So, obviously, he did not sin by calling them in this context. He called the people of Israel their stiff-necked, uncircumcised, he called them betrayers and murderers. And he was right in saying that because they had the spirit of murder in them. He did not judge them. He just evaluated them and rightfully used righteous judgment using God's law to tell them what they are. Um, so I'm going to read this section here. From because uh, it does make sense here in what I'm saying. Uh, this is from the. Um, what did I take this from? Uh, let me pull this up here. From one of the um, Bible um, helps here. I had the, uh, the reference here. What did I do with it? <laughs> anyway, I'll, I'll just paraphrase this. Uh, states that there is a sense, however, in which uh, this is by William Evans from, I think, the International Bible Study Encyclopedia. And it states here, there is a sense, however, in which anger is the duty of man. He is to hate evil. It is not enough that God's people should love righteousness. They must also be angry with sin, not the sinner. A man who is incapable of being angry at sin is at the same time thereby uh, judged to be... Uh, incapable of having real love for righteousness. So uh, there is a sense in which a man may be said to be angry and sin not. Anger at the sin and unrighteousness of men, and because their sin is grievous to God, may be called a righteous indignation. Such an indignation is attributed to Jesus when it is said that he looked around about on them with anger, being grieved at the hardening of their heart, the stubbornness of their heart. In Mark 3, verse 5. When anger arises because of this condition, it is sinless, but when anger arises because of wounded or grieved personality or feelings, it is sinful and punishable. Anger, while very likely to become sinful, is not really sinful in itself. Okay, and I, I think I've proven that to you uh, through these examples. Um, Jacob, let's look at the, an example with Jacob, how he got angry, and rightfully so. In Genesis chapter 31, Genesis chapter 31, verse 36. It says, And Jacob was angry and chilled with Laban, and Jacob answered and said to Laban, What is my trespass? What is my sin that thou hast so hotly pursued after me? It 
So this is a situation where uh, Laban was pursuing him, and he said, hey, what did I do? You know, of course he's getting angry at him. What did he do to, to deserve all that? Moses, another example, Exodus 11, verse 8. Exodus 11, verse 8, says, and all, these, and all these thy servants shall come down unto me and bow down themselves unto me, saying, Get thee out, and all the people that follow thee, and afterward I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in a, in a great anger. Pharaoh in a great anger. So let me read. Uh, okay, let me. Okay, it's Exodus 11, verse 4. And Moses said, Thus says the Lord, About midnight will I go out into the midst of Egypt, and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sits upon his throne, even unto the firstborn of the maidservant that is behind the mill, and all the firstborn of beasts. And there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there was none like it, nor shall it be like it any more. But against any of the children of Israel shall not a dog move his tongue, against man or beast, that you may know how that the Lord doth put a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. And all... These thy servants shall come down unto me, and bow them down thyself unto me, saying, Get thee out, and all the people that follow thee, and after that I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in great anger. And so, you know, Moses was angry because Pharaoh was continuing to to not want to obey God, and he was angry at that. And there's nothing wrong when somebody does not want to obey God, that you exhibit anger, and you're supposed to. Um Exodus chapter 32, verse 19. And it came to pass, as soon as he came near unto the camp, that he saw the calf and the dancing, and Moses' anger waxed hot. So again, this is an example of Moses being angry, and righteously so, at people's wickedness and disobeying. And he cast the tables out of his hands and break them beneath the mount. And he took the calf which they made and burnt it in fire and ground it in the powder and strawed it upon the water and made the children of Israel drink it. Okay, so it was nothing wrong with him doing this. It was justifiable for him to get angry like this. You know, so I, I'm just trying to, to, to really break this down so you can understand what anger, anger is all about. It's not always wicked. Most people think angry is always wicked, and it's not. It can be righteous, too. And that's the purpose of this Bible study, to show you that. Uh, Leviticus chapter 10. Leviticus chapter 10. Leviticus chapter 10, verse 16. And Moses diligently sought the gold of the sin offering, and behold, it was burnt. And he was angry with Eleazar and Eomar, son of Aaron, which were left alive, saying, Whereof have you not eaten the sin offering in the holy place, seeing it is most holy? And God has given it to you, the bare iniquity of the congregation, to make atonement for them before the Lord. Behold, the blood of it was not brought in with the holy place. You should indeed have eaten it in the holy place as I commanded. And Aaron said to Moses, Behold, this day have they offered their sin offering and a burnt offering before the Lord, and such things have befallen me. And if I had eaten the sin offering today, should it have been accepted in the sight of the Lord? And when Moses heard that, he was content. So again, that even though this was in the context of them not doing what he said, he listened to Aaron, and then he accepted that explanation, and he was content. Numbers 16, verse 15.
Okay, number 16, verse 15. It says, And Moses was very angry and said unto the Lord, Respect not their offering. I have not taken one ass from them neither. So he was angry with the men because they were accusing him. And, okay, we go again. <laughs> he was obviously angry for the right reasons. Okay, and let's let's look at some, some bad reasons to be angry. Some wrong reasons in the, in the remaining eight minutes that we have here. Of course, let's go to a famous, uh, a real famous example here in Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4, well, Cain. Genesis 4, verse 5. It says, right here, uh, let me look at the context here. Uh, Genesis uh, 4, verse 3. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought... Uh, of the fruit of the ground and offering unto the Lord, and Abel he also bought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof, and the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. His countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why are you angry, and why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, shall you be accepted. And if you do not well, sin lies at the door. And unto thee, and unto thee shall be his desire and you shall rule over him so we if you want to rule over something people you need to learn how to rule over sin that's what you need to learn how to do i'm going to repeat this for those who are listening you must learn how to rule over sin if you learn how to rule over sin you will be able to control your anger if you do not know how to rule over sin anger will control you okay and we must learn how to rule over sin. It's very important to understand that. It's very important to understand that, ladies and gentlemen. So, there's another scripture that explains this. I'm trying to find it here. Um... I can find it here. It's in John. I think it's first John. Here we go. Yeah, first John chapter three, verse ten. It says, In this the children of God are manifest and the children of the devil. Whosoever does not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. Verse 11, for this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, in other words, he was of the devil, and slew his brother, and where was slew he him? Why did he slay him? So you're going to get the answer here, the Bible interpretation, because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. Okay? That's the wrong type of anger. You should not ever be angry at anybody doing something right. And if you are angry at something uh, if you are angry at someone doing something right, that is not the anger of God. That's the anger of the devil. And you need to repent and learn how to rule over, as God states here. Let me say this in the complete Jewish Bible version. In verse 6 of Genesis 4, verse 6, Adonai said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why so downcast? If you are doing what is good, shouldn't you hold your head high? That's, you know, I had someone tell me that, you know, I'm not feeling joyful. Well, one of the reasons why you don't feel joyful 
It's because you're not doing good. You're not thinking of doing good things. In verse 7, it says, if you are doing what is good, shouldn't you hold your head high? But if you're not doing good, you're not going to be holding your head high, and you're not going to feel good. And if you don't do what is good, sin is crouching at the door. It wants you, but you can rule over it. This is the mighty God telling you, telling me, telling everyone, that we can rule over sin. We can do it with his help. And what we need to do, in verse 6, we shouldn't have the attitude that Cain had. Why are you angry? Why are you so downcast? When you get angry, that's, you get downcast, whether it's for righteousness or unrighteousness, but he doesn't want us to have unrighteous anger, which is a perfect description of this and the Cain incident here, uh, how to have unrighteous anger, and we should not have that. Again, I'm reading this a complete Jewish Bible version for clarity's sake. Adonai said to Cain, or Cain, why are you angry? Why are you so downcast? Verse 7, if you are doing what is good, shouldn't you hold your head high? So that means that if you're doing good, you should be joyful. But if you're doing wicked, you won't be. And if, you, and if you're thinking of wickedness, you won't be happy. And if you don't do what is good, sin is crouching at the door. It wants you, but you can rule over it. Again, verse 7, if you are doing what is good, shouldn't you hold your head high? That means that if you don't do what is good, you won't be holding your head high. And if you don't do what is good, I just said this, sin is crouching at the door. It's right there. It wants you, but you can rule over it. Remember that. That's very important to understand how to have joy, which the Bible study was on last week, but also how to control your anger, ladies and gentlemen. So I hope in this program, you have a clear vision on the difference between godly anger and ungodly anger. The fact that raising your voice is sometimes necessary, as it should be pretty obvious the way Stephen talked to the Sanhedrin at the time when he got stoned and the way Jesus spoke. There's nothing wrong with raising your voice if it's in a controlled fashion, if it's in a way to get people, influence people to repent and change. But if you're doing that to put people down because you're angry, because someone is doing right, or you just want to, to, to hurt somebody, that's when it's wrong. So I hope today that I've explained in detail how you can control anger and cease from anger. It's very important for you to understand that. It's because most people can't control their anger that there's great wickedness in the world today. And Isaiah chapter 13 states that God has to, he has to punish the world because of great wickedness. And one of the reasons why is, uh, the world is wicked, most people are wicked, is because they cannot control their anger and they get angry at the wrong things. And when they get angry, they're not in control with that anger, when, even if it's for righteousness' sake. They, they, they justify it with unrighteous acts. So, ladies and gentlemen, I hope I've explained this to you in a clear, concise fashion. And I will speak to you next week. The next Bible study will be on how to take care of our bodies, which the Bible reveals as being our temple, God's temple, where, that he wishes to dwell in. 
So may God bless and keep you, and I will speak to you next week. Malachi chapter 4. For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of Moses my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.